Hey, it's Michelle, and we're so thrilled that Smart House Creative is our sponsor for this episode. Smart House Creative is a full-service publicity and marketing agency serving creative entrepreneurs and artistic projects. They specialize in social media management, media outreach, and audience development. Visit smarthousecreative.com for a list of services and request a custom quote. At one of my endurance races, when somebody asked me what I thought of the beer, I said, oh, it's not my favorite. I wish I wish I had some vodka. And this guy looked at me and he goes, you're kind of cute. And it would be even better if you didn't complain. I wanted to fucking smash the bottle over his head. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Cocktail Conversations. I'm Michelle Mitchell. And if you've been listening to the series so far, then you know how most of our episodes at some point discuss language, how it's used to other, dismiss, enrage. It's a device that is a fundamental plank of the anger industrial complex. But wait, there's more, because the anger industrial complex does not exist without divide and conquer. And that means shoring up one of the oldest divisions, the value gap. Crazy, difficult, bitch. Even depending on the context, cute. Yes, we're taking this on today with the help of a Kirwayel recipe by St. M designer Kelly Moex. And boy, did we need those bubbles for this one. I've known life coach Kate Hobbs for a few years now, and I know she did a particular Tough mutter a few years ago, but she is still steamed about the post-race experience. My opinion has nothing to do whether I'm cute or not, and I've just run a race that you didn't actually even fucking finish. I represent the diversity in my friend group, which is because it's full of blondes. I'm one of the only people of color, and I'm only 50% of color. That's high school senior Maisie Adams. She once wrote a paper based on my first documentary, and she got an A, of course. She's headed to Pitzer College in the fall. As long as I'm a good person, as long as I'm trying my best, it's fine. Because that's what I can control. Go, Maisie. Good for you. That's Cass Lillian, my favorite person I've ever met in a snowstorm. And yes, I have met a lot of people in snowstorms. Cass is a jewelry designer in New York City, but before that, she used to remodel and flip houses. I remember the house that I was doing needed a French drain. And the inspector was like, where'd you learn about French drains? Like, it was cute that I had this little project going on. All right, before anyone gets riled up and dismisses this as a Cure Royale swilling she-woman man-haters club, and if you get that reference, you are probably most definitely riled up, let's take a historical look at this. The word bitch is pretty new as a common use term. A version of it has been around since Egypt 8000 BC, but it really took off in the 20th century as a direct result of women demanding the right to vote. And the framework for all of this, well, that's why I asked Soraya Kamali to join us, because she literally wrote the book on it. Rage Becomes Her, The Power of Women's Anger is a kick-ass, teeth-gnashing read, and if you start underlining, you're never gonna stop. Every page looks like this. Every author wants to see something. <laughs> we started right away with how language is used to silence. You start off with a, a perception of girls who might be sassy, and then all of a sudden they're rude or they're hormonal, and then they're high maintenance bitches, and then they're ugly nags, and those also get ethnicized. So that if you're a, a black girl or a woman, you don't even have to do anything. You just show up and you're considered angry inherently and unpleasant. 
and domineering. If you're a woman of Asian descent, you're much more likely to be characterized in a minimizing way as passive or sad if you express an opinion or anger forthrightly. If you are, let's say, Hispanic or, or maybe of Arab descent, the categorization has a lot more to do with being consumed, being spicy, being sexy. And if you're a white woman, you're just crazy. Like an angry white woman is more likely to be described as you know, losing her mind as opposed to having a legitimate reason for saying what she's saying. I think there's probably not a woman alive on earth who doesn't recognize the use of that kind of language to get her to stop talking. I call that getting little ladied. Getting little ladied is exactly right. I was in construction for about 10 years and my mom was from Kansas and I grew up with her saying you get more bees with honey than vinegar. I have to say it gets used against you to diminish your power. The one time that I still am mad about, I used to do owner builder and I decided to make my job easier. I hired a contractor and it's stressful these things. Every single day is money. I know exactly how much money that costs me. And he started another job in the middle of my job. And I said, you can't do that. And we came to an agreement that that was okay as long as he didn't pull anybody off of my job. And then the next day I go to work and there's two guys there, completely inefficient. So he comes back, we have the conversation and I'm being more bees with honey than vinegar. I want my way. And he said to me, you're having a hissy fit. And I, I was just dumbfounded like you're I mean classic gaslighting but it was like I wasn't getting angry I was just calling them out you didn't do what we agreed on yesterday the next job I hired someone that didn't speak English (laughs) and it worked a lot better all he could say was Cass that's a good idea at first I thought god he just thinks I'm great and then Slowly, I, I realized what that cast that's a good idea means. I have no idea, but I'm willing to give it a go. <laughs> I had a debate over Instagram with a boy who is like two years older than me or something. I reposted um, one of AOC's posts because I really admire her. And he slid up and replied to my story and was like, yeah, she's insane. And I was like, well, everyone can have opinions. We have free speech. Like, I didn't want to keep debating with him. And he was just like, at least you're cute, though. Like, oh, it's just, I just don't understand why guys feel like, did he think that I was going to be like, oh my gosh, he thinks I'm cute. Oh, I guess it's okay that he thinks America, like, has no problems. Okay, like, at least he thinks I'm cute. No, that's gross. That happened to a friend of mine working in film, which can be a bit male dominated. Mm. And she asked a friend for a recommendation. And in the letter of recommendation, he writes, she's really cute and fun to have around on set. That was his recommendation. And then C sees her like, you know, oh, you're going to be psyched. I called you cute you know, and nothing about her skills. I just have to comment on that because I worked in the film world too, and I'm fucking fun on a set, but that is probably the least piece of how I'm on a set. Like I can do my job faster than anybody. I worked in production assistant. I ran first team. Go fuck yourself. Yes, I am fun. You can add that as well as a bonus, 
there are a couple of things that strike me as we're talking. One is the conversation has remained on the level of individuals. And really, these are systemic institutional problems. It's very easy to create false equivalences. There's a man, there's a woman, we're all equal, we're Americans, blah, blah, blah. It's all bullshit. Because in fact, there is no equivalence institutionally or systemically. It's heteropatriarchal. And that our very identities and relationships are defined by that. They're defined by every aspect of what I just discussed. So if you think about mothers teaching daughters how to be nicer, right? They're not like born radical feminists who are going to blow shit up, right? They are part of the culture and their own identities are formed in this culture. So if your mother teaches you to be a lady, to be polite, to use honey instead of vinegar. I mean, I grew up Catholic, right? Firstborn Catholic girl here. I know all the rules about how to be a nice girl, okay? <laughs> but in fact, those rules really, really denigrate and hurt us. I got in trouble for wearing leggings to school one day. I was like, but like, why? It's because of the boys. Are they distracted? Is it worth it to pull me out of a classroom in the middle of a school day to have me go home and change, to not distract a boy? I mean, if you take away leggings, half the women can't go to work anymore. Now, for some reason, I was kind of surprised to hear from Maisie that this sort of clothing policing is still going on because it seems so retro, but it does still happen, and a lot. You might have heard this past May about this Florida school that digitally altered the yearbook portraits of at least 80 female students by putting a black bar across their chests and shoulders. Now, the speedo photos of the water polo team, the guy water polo team, no black bars for that one. But as Cass pointed out, this particular debate relies on individual responses to individual actions. I just had a funny thing and I don't know how I feel about it, but I think I might have been wrong. A woman moved in right across the street from me. She pulled a chair out onto the sidewalk and she was in a skirt and this very small bikini top. And it just was irritating me. And then the next day, no top. She's in a skirt and boobs out on the sidewalk on Orchard Street in New York. And I was like, a girl. For some reason, the bathing suit bugged me and felt attention seeking and the topless felt like kind of a rad political statement and you go girl. And there's a lot of hypocrisy in there and I don't know why I felt like that. My brain's melting. Okay, Kate, before your brain melts. I agree with Cass, you know, when you're nice, but I find that men, this is my specific interpretation, men that feel threatened, come at it even harder. True alpha males don't do that. They are not aggressive in that manner. They're very uplifting to females and they wanna see you succeed. And that is not the case with these other people. They feel threatened. It came up in our last episode, The Authority Crisis, how anger could be seen as the language of the internet. That's not the case universally, but study after study has shown that the way to grab and keep attention is to deploy anger. But what about in real life? Now, Soraya points out that words like crazy and difficult are used to deny women access to anger. We're allowed sadness, envy, anxiety, guilt, but we're not supposed to be angry, at least not the way that men are allowed to be. This one emotion, this one powerful emotion that we have, which is the emotion of self-defense, it's the emotion of dignity, it's the emotion that 
warns you that there's a threat in your environment. We deny girls and women the right to that emotion, particularly when it comes to men, to other women too, but particularly when it comes to men and particularly to intimate life. So we know that in heterosexual marriages, when women express anger, they feel they're gonna be punished, probably by their spouses, maybe by their fathers, maybe by their sons. That's how they report feeling about expressing anger. And so what they do instead is they express what they want <laughs> by using sadness or fear. It's why so many women cry, what I just discussed. is particularly true of white women because in fact, for white women to act fragile is a particular part, as Kate said, of masculine identity. If you come off as nice and a little weaker and more feminine and less hostile or aggressive, then you are deserving of attention and protection. That mechanism of attention and protection is what masculinity is about. Right now, we construct masculinity whole cloth out of women's vulnerabilities. For men to provide and protect, girls and women need to need to be protected and need to be provided for. So when women stand up in a movement like Me Too or Time's Up and they say, hey, time out, I wanna provide for myself and you're not actually even protecting me, I'm getting harassed everywhere I go, I have to navigate rape everywhere I go, what is a man supposed to do with that information? He's like, wait, time out, I was told to provide and protect, that's what makes me a good person and a good man. And so all of our identities become implicated in these expectations around race and gender and our relationships to one another. And those identity expectations can get complicated. I work with men and women and mostly the alpha, alpha female, alpha male is generally who I speak with. And my theory is that there are certain people in each gender that add to, in my opinion, the problem of this. What I'm really talking about is masculinity and femininity. We tend to align the characteristics of authority and leadership with masculinity and divorce it from femininity and actually punish it in more feminine people. Feminine people, even if they identify as men, also suffer the same kind of discrimination because they have feminine attributes. I think that we're all being a teeny bit naive that it's just men that are doing this. I think women do it as well. And it goes sort of from childhood, thinking of how we start to fold sexism and racism into ourselves and our identities in childhood, all the way through the ageism that we experience as elderly women, you know, the invisibility and the erasure being over your prime reproductive age, which is your value to the society. We don't seem to want to connect that with patriarchal cultures that denigrate femininity in childhood and that socialize boys to associate anger and aggression with being good men. I mean, they're all of these very complicated ideas. They're not something that any of us can tackle individually. They really require a mass cultural and societal effort. And those efforts, generally speaking, sometimes scare people. Isn't this a lot about control? I think it's about power. I mean, even which is why I'm kind of pushing back against mm -hmm. the idea that we focus on individual actions. Mm -hmm. But in fact, what we do is we have to be hypervigilant to it all the time because it's still that all of these topics, we don't want to use accurate language. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. Cass brought up something that I hear a lot, which is, do we have some sort of call to action? A phrase I happen to hate because it's so often said without any true sink your teeth in action. I like wrapping these things up with not just like, we're fucked, but like, <laughs> let's do something. But she's right. 
Luckily, Soraya did have something for all of us. I think it's really important to normalize being wrong about something. There's a bit of stigma behind that just because like you want to stand your ground, but normalizing being incorrect or like it being it's okay to disagree is just something that's really important. So I was kind of curious at this point. We had just spent a few glasses talking about what words are used to describe us. So what words would they use to describe themselves? Driven. Grounded. Badass cast. That's three words. We'll hashtag it and then it's all one word. Follow us on Instagram at The Cocktail Conversations to check out our IG Live discussions. For more information, including who made this episode and how to join our in-person events, yes, we're having them, go to our website, www.thecocktailconversations.com. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Smart House Creative, a full-service publicity and marketing agency serving creative entrepreneurs and artistic projects, including ours, by the way. They specialize in social media management, media outreach, and audience development. Visit smarthousecreative.com for a list of services and to request a custom quote.